0: It is uh, my distinct pleasure to be asked to speak at lots of places, uh, do some corporate consulting. Uh, I've taught at the police academy this week. I've taught at Mazda Toyota this week. Uh, I've been on the road uh, at some other churches. And I get asked to speak a lot about crisis. Uh, I am in partly involved with the police ...as a crisis intervention instructor. And it's uh, what we train police officers to do... ...when they get sent to a mental health call. Now, police officers should not be sent to mental health calls. But they send them there. If it's 2 a.m. and your loved one goes into a psychiatric emergency... ...you're not going to call your therapist. That's an expensive phone call, okay? If you dial 911, it costs you nothing. And when you dial 911 because your loved one is in a crisis... They can send you a kid with a fire hose. They can send you a kid with a box of band-aids, the ambulance driver. Or they can send you a kid with a badge and a gun. Guess who they send? Because force is implied. This person's acting this So I get to teach some on on crisis intervention. And because of that, I've been asked to speak at lots of churches on mental health. Uh, I've got a little bitty book that, that I wrote that talks about protecting your emotional and spiritual mental health. It's called Grappling with Life, Controlling Your mind Space. I wrote it for the cage fighting crowd. I work out with some guys that are professional grapplers. And although I'm not that good of a grappler, uh, they they know that I'm a therapist. And so I wrote uh, this little book. And it uses Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a, uh, a metaphor for uh, how you deal with uh, emotional and psychological and spiritual health. uh, grappling with life, controlling your inside space. Uh, Some of the principles are pretty simple. If uh, Blake and I were to start to wrestle, based on his height and my lack of it, if I control his head, I control his body. The head is a lever to the spine. And so where the head goes, the rest of you will follow. Well, whoever controls your head controls your body. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so it's principles like that. Well, recently, uh, through some things, people have asked me to, to talk about crisis in the church. And so I'm working on volume number two. It's called Grappling with God. Providence, trauma, and the Christian understanding of mental health. And so I thought we'd spend a little bit of time maybe doing an excerpt from some of that material and, and talking just about a Christian's and and crisis so if you have your bibles go to second corinthians chapter one now one of the things that that we miss sometimes as bible students or or at least it's like that obvious thing that dawns on you later you see those things on facebook i was this many years old when i discovered this you know oh you're supposed to do it that way who knew uh one of the things that, that matthew mark luke and john who is jesus what does it mean to follow him after we find out from four different perspectives the work of the Messiah, and you well, why do we need four different perspectives? Well, Matthew's a Jewish perspective, Mark is probably a Roman perspective, Luke is a Greek perspective, and then John is a philosophical perspective. Uh, he doesn't include some of the things the other Gospels do. Uh, if we walk out here and, and we watch a car wreck, well, the guy on this side of the road will see it one way. The guy on the other side of the road will see it the other way. The guy driving the pickup will definitely see it a different way. And the guy in the smart car will have a way different perspective of it. And all those perspectives can be different and yet still 100% accurate. Okay? And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who is Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? And then the book of Acts, the actions, the practices of the apostles. What did the first generation disciples of Jesus do after Jesus left? And and that's the, the closest to the source in uh in martial arts, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they talk about your heritage. So here's a guy who starts a, a, a style of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and then the first guy he gives a black belt to. Well, then if that guy gives a black belt to another guy, you, that that's your lineage. I, I teach defensive tactics sometimes at the police academy because they know they, I like it. It's not that I'm a cop or an operator or anything like that, but they know I like to do that. And I run a, a thing called a lockdown And it's basically a trap you do with your legs and you sweep a guy and you turn over into a position they call a dogfight. Anyway, I learned a lockdown from the guy that invented the lockdown. I learned it from Eddie Bravo. And I did a seminar with with Eddie. And, And so, you know, you've got the guy who said, this is how you do the lockdown. And so when I do the lockdown, I'm pretty close to the guy that did the lockdown because I learned it from him. I didn't learn it from one of his. So you've got these guys who were with Jesus or who were personally inspired by Jesus And this is what my disciples were to teach the disciples that they made disciples of who would make other disciples. So you look at the book of Acts and you can either do Peter's ministry and Paul's ministry, a biographical outline of Acts, or you can do a geographical outline of Acts. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. Well, as you read the book of Acts, the church starts in Jerusalem. Then there's persecution. They move out to Judea. Then they spread out to Samaria. And then Paul goes on three and possibly four missionary journeys. And so as you read the book of Acts, not only are you finding what they taught, what their practices were, what their doctrine was, establishing elders, you'll find the city of Corinth. You'll find the area of Galatia. You'll find the city of Colossae. You'll find the place in Ephesus. You'll find Timothy. You'll find Titus. Well, then after you get past the book of Acts, you've got a series of letters. Oh, look. Look. They're written to the people in the places we met in the book of Acts. So now you've got a mature Christian writing to people that he's helped become Christians or knows they're struggling as Christians, telling them how to solve their problems. And so that's where you start understanding that the New Testament letters are from mature First-generation disciples of Jesus writing to second, third, and fourth-generation disciples about these are the aspects of God, these are the characteristics of God that you use to solve your problems. And so if we could just look at the Bible as a problem-solving tool. This is where we are. This is where we want to be. These are the things that God tells us to do or to not do or to be like in in, in order to get there. Uh, James Walters at Harding University called that task theology. So when you get to the letters to the city at Corinth... You've got a guy who's personal friends with these people. Paul had lived in the city of Corinth and made tents. He was a local businessman, he was a bivocational minister, and he's dealing with these people. Now, typically, when you get in, into Paul's letters, you know, we look at them as they're Holy Spirit inspired, they're given to him by the Spirit, but at the same time, it is still a personal letter. And so, typically, uh, and this is uh, it's a preacher joke. Typically you could outline Paul's letters by, I love you and I'm praying for you. For the love of all that's good, don't do things that are stupid. Tell Timothy I said hello. And you basically, you know, have, have Paul's letters. Well, you get this letter that he's writing and it's a follow-up letter. And before he gets into the doctrine, and what we mean by doctrine is Paul often writes in the uh, indicative and then in the imperative. If This, 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 and this are true, then, therefore, you should do this. And so oftentimes, you know, it takes Paul a little bit to get there. And we'll do the indicative and the imperative. If I were to say, I see smoke in the lobby, I see a fire alarm blinking, I hear a fire alarm going off, I touch the doorknob and it's hot, if those things are true, therefore, we should leave the building in an orderly manner. That's indicative and imperative. And Paul's going to get to that. He'll start that in about chapter 2 or 3, where he talks about, and he'll use three images for us being God's servants. He'll use the aroma, he'll use light, and he'll use vessel. But before he ever gets to the doctrine part, in the personal part of the letter, Paul does something that is phenomenal. And and, and it is almost conversational. You can hear somebody talk and in their casual conversation you learn something about them. And so this is really not the point that Paul was writing. Paul really didn't make wasn't doing this to make a point. It's just the way Paul thought about life. And so in his introduction, we can kind of like we're listening to one side of a phone conversation, learn something from the apostle Paul. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by. For, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, you also will partake in the consolation. So Paul says, I want you to, I'm just greeting you in the name of Christ. And he says, I, God is blessed, and God is the source of all comfort. He I'm greeting you in the name of God, and God is the God of all comfort. And so when you think about tragedy, when you think about crisis, when you think about difficulties, and you go, where does my comfort come from? We seek comfort in a lot of ways. We seek comfort in a lot of areas. And so many times we are chasing the wrong rabbit. A lot of things the world says will make you happy will not make you happy. A lot of things the world says will give you peace will not give you peace. God is the source of all comfort. And if we, you know, you read the book of Second uh, Kings or First Kings, and the prophets of Baal are trying to get Baal's attention, to exist, but they're trying to get his attention. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible it says, "No one answered. There was no voice. No one paid attention." Well, so many times we're crying out for help, and we're crying out to the wrong thing. There is no voice. No one answers. No one paid attention. Paul says. I'm greeting you in the name of God, the God of all comfort. And He comforts us in all our tribulation, so we may be able to comfort those in any trouble. Paul says, you want to understand the function of suffering? You want to understand providence? You want to understand what God's doing in your life? Paul says, when you encounter something and you receive comfort... You've just learned a lesson. You've just been qualified. You've just been given the credentials to help somebody else in the same situation. You want to know why you're on the planet? What have you been through? Help somebody else go through it. That's it. Now, I don't completely understand providence, but this is how I think I understand providence. Romans eight, twenty-eight: all work together for good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. I don't believe that that, that teaches In fact, I know it doesn't teach that God runs planes into buildings, gives kids cancer, kills people in car wrecks. What it teaches is that God is powerful, that God has such sovereignty on this planet that He can take things He did not will and take things He did not initiate and make them useful for us. Now, how do those things become useful? I use what happened in my life to help you deal with it in your life. Whether it's a death, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a forced move, whether it's unemployment, whether it's a difficult financial situation, whether it's an emotional situation, a psychological situation, God comforted me. I got through it. Now, what do I do with that? Well, I'm going to find somebody who's going through the same thing and help them with it. And the value of having a participant in those kind of things. I made reference in the sermon about the little surgery I had back in '09 and and had this this thing. I don't know if you, I don't want to be too indelicate, but if you wear a colostomy bag, they staple one side of your intestines to your lining of your abdomen. Then they take the business end and they cut a hole and they run it to the outside and they attach a bag to you. Well, that's not a lot of fun. And by the way, don't put super glue on that to hold it in place. That's a different story for a different time. But I go from running three and a half miles three times a week training with a SWAT team, a professional guided rock climber, rappelling instructor, a hunter and a fisherman. Here's your little buddy, wear that. You talk about a reset to your identity. I bought a children's bow and walked around my yard and shot trash for 21 weeks. That was my exercise. I could walk and I could shoot this toy bow. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that. A pretty active little dude, enjoy life, have been blessed with a reasonable amount of strength, and was talking about it. You know, I'd just been given the stupid thing, preaching a sermon. The 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 thing, the the bag, it fell off of me at CYC. We'd walked up the hill. It'd been snowing a little bit. I just I'd been out of the hospital about eight weeks, and. Stood up to sing, and I'm supposed to walk on the stage. Got the Garth Brooks starter set, headset on and everything. I stood up in that bag and went, and there are 10,000 people in that room. And I've got stuff on my shirt. And I go into the bathroom, I take my coat off, I take my shirt off, I take my undershirt off. Had an extra kit. So I'm standing there, you know, shirtless from the waist up. Got a hole you can stick four fingers in in my side. But it's got glue all around it. Put my shirt back on. Walk back out. So, hey, tell them to sing two more verses, and I need a knife. Well, God gives me an exacto knife. I go back in the bathroom, take my shirt off, stand in front of the mirror, scraping glue with an exacto knife. So I put this, this kid walks in the bathroom. I go, you're next! He goes running out. He's probably never never been back to CYC. But anyway, listen, if you've never stood in front of 10,000 people with poop on your shirt, it's humbling. And I I had some difficulties with it. And I did my sermon at Maisel, walked to the back of the room, standing there at the back, and this old farmer walked out. Said, I've worn one of those bags for 25 years. You'll be okay. I didn't know that. I don't know that anybody else in the room knew that. But he wanted me to know that because the comfort, the strength, the ability that he had to live with that, told me, hey, Jones, you can get over this. Get over yourself. Decided to do something different. God comforts us so that the comfort that we receive from Him, we can comfort other people with it. Then he says, and and look, if you suffer for Christ or if you suffer like Christ, that suffering resulted in the consolation. That was the resurrection. He says, and and if we're comforted and we comfort you, it works. If we suffer and you suffer with us, then you get to receive the same kind of blessing that Jesus did. What you want now versus what you want most. And that's kind of his introduction to this. And then he continues with this introduction. Verse 8. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble that came to us in Asia. Now, he'd left the city of Corinth. He'd gone on another journey. He'd had a vision that said, come to Macedonia and help us. And he'd gone there. And when he says us or we, that's an editorial plural. He's by himself. He's not with Timothy. He left him in Ephesus. He's not with Luke. He's not with Titus. He's not with John Mark. He's not with Barnabas. by himself. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble that I ran into. That we were burdened beyond measure above our strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Now, this is the Holy Spirit inspired apostle. This is the guy who's seen a vision of Jesus and has participated in something he called being taken to the third heaven and saw things that were not utterable to men. He goes, And I encountered something, I had an experience in Asia, and it was beyond my ability, beyond my strength, beyond my capacity. I, I hear people, and I still hear it, God won't put on you more than you can bear. That is not in the Bible. The Bible says there's no temptation that's overtaken you, which is common to man, that God will not provide a way of escape. You cannot be forcibly taken from the grip of God and made to sin. When you sin, it is your choice. It is immaturity, it is weakness, or it is rebellion, but nobody makes you do that. The Bible says every sinful situation, you have the ability to say no to. And by the way, when you talk about mental illness, if you don't possess the ability for self-governance, God sees you as an innocent. And you're no different than a little child or a 95-year-old man with Alzheimer's who's cussing like a sailor. He's not responsible for his actions. And so you're dealing with a mental illness and it's beyond your capacity for self-control. God's not going to condemn you to hell for that. God, the God of the universe, will do what is just. But in this case, Paul says, look, we we were burdened beyond our ability. We were burdened beyond our measure. It way outweighed our ability to get this thing done. And folks, you can encounter things that get way past your ability to handle it. You can experience things on this earth that will break your heart and damage your soul. Now, they can't pull you away from God. 31 years as a police chaplain, I've seen what humans do to other humans. I've seen how vulnerable the human body can be. And I've seen things that bothered me and seen things that didn't bother me. Paul says, we saw things, we experienced things that were beyond our ability. And we despaired even of life. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means we thought we were dead or I wished I was dead. And let's just talk about that a second. Wishing you were dead is probably not sinful because you can do the math. If I die, where will I go? <laughs> ta <Ta-da! laughs> Right? I mean, it's, sometimes a person talks about suicide. That means self-murder. And it's logical, but it's irrational. Now, how can you be logical and irrational? My wife retired public school teacher after 25 years. And after she retired as a teacher, she became a project manager. And the projects are all at my house. <laughs> okay? So you know, we, we built a deck, and she needed a swim spa, and you got to have a patio and a victor You read the thing, if you give a mouse a cookie, if you build your wife a deck, she has got to have any black countertops. Well, if you put black countertops in your house, black rock countertops, by the way, you got to have a farm sink got a black microwave, got to have a black oven, got to have a black fridge, got to have a black dishwasher. I'm staying in the middle of deconstruction central and I think, I'm going to have to rob a bank to pay for this. Now, is that a logical thought? Well, yeah. The bank has money. I need money. If I had the bank's money, I could pay for this. Well, non, it's not a logical thing about robbing it. Well, they're not going to give it to me. I can't walk in there and go, I identify as a millionaire. I'd like to withdraw my funds. They're not going to honor that business. So... It's logical. It's irrational. I don't need to be put on a watch list. I can just do the math. <laughs> they got money if I had the money. So some people, when they are talk about suicide, they don't want to die. They just want the pain to end. And that's a, that's a different kind of thought process. Now, the bank that I use, their security guard is 77 years old. He takes a nap at 11.30. Okay, thought process is changing now, right? Hey, I need you to drive to North Huntsville and about eleven thirty on Friday, I need you to make a phone call on 911 and say, shots fired, officer down. And everything that has a badge will go to where you made that phone call from. I promise you. I just need 15 minutes. Now I've gone from a thought to a plan to an intention. But if your kids are suffering, and you said, you know, if I didn't tomorrow and watch them hurt i'd be okay with that that's not suicidal ideation that's despairing even of life and an apostle of god did it paul says listen i don't want you to look i want you to understand that god comforts and i'm qualified to talk about comforting because i don't want you to misunderstand that when i was in asia i ran into something that was way beyond my ability and when I got overburdened beyond my capacity to bear it, I despaired even of life. And I, I either thought I was dead or wished I was dead. Verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul says, when you get in deep, And it's beyond your ability, and you recognize that as a self-made man, if we worship our makers, it's a monument to unskilled labor. He says, I experienced this thing, and I learned not to trust in myself, but to trust in God. That is such a powerful lesson. And especially as Americans, we can do anything. When the top 10% of all the people on the earth, just for wealth, the fact that you're wearing shoes puts you in a different category of most people who live on this planet. The fact that you had a choice of which pair of shoes to wear puts you in a way different category of most people on this planet. A hundred years ago, you'd had to be a king to have a servant bring you food. I pull this thing out of my pocket and make a dial, and they'll bring it to my house. Anything I want in town. That's wealth untold. If you've got one of these little toys, you've got more computing power than put the original space shot into the air. It's unbelievable. I do stuff on my cell phone. I watched James Bond and Captain Kirk do as a kid. And now I can just do it. I can look at my, children, my grandchildren and talk to them face to face. And that's the only thing a, a, a spy can do in a spy movie. We tend to trust ourselves. Paul says, you, I encountered this stuff And I learned not to put my trust in me to put my trust in God. And then he adds this thing. We learn not to trust in ourselves but trust in God who raises the dead. These people we talked about at the beginning of service, some of them were younger than me and some of them were 90 years old and they died. They're not dead. The God we serve raises the dead. How would you like to have that on your business card? I'm Lon Jones, I'm here to help you. What can you do? I raise the dead. When you talk about your consulting business going straight up, they listen to your podcast, I guarantee you. We serve a God who raises the dead. And it doesn't matter what happens in these life circumstances. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what they do to you. What does God do? I worry some about the future of our country. Not for me, but for my grandkids. But if a foreign power takes over this country and they say, you must renounce Jesus, we're going to cut your head off. Is that the best shot you've got to cut my head off? If you cut my head off, guess where I'm going? That's like being sent home from a school. Mr. Jones, you need to leave. Thank you. I've been waiting all day if you let me go fishing. Well, just send me home. We learn not to trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. Now listen at these three statements. Verse 10. Who delivered us from this death does deliver us and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul says God has delivered us. God is presently delivering us. and We may not recognize the deliverance. We may not understand how he's working in our lives. And he will deliver us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how hard it is. I don't know how heavy it is. I don't know how bad it hurts. But number one, it's not yours to solve. It's not about your power. It's not about your might. It's all, the only thing's about you is your endurance. And your endurance is guaranteed if you choose it because God has, God is, and God will deliver us. Folks, that's good news. You can predict a person's behavior based on their past. What has God done for you? What will God do for you? If God can handle my sin problem, He can handle my finances, He can handle my intestines, He can handle my cancer, He can handle my separation, He can handle my kids. God has done, God is doing, and God will do. And then the bonus and you also helping together in prayers for us. You realize that 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 when when Paul talks about being delivered and being delivered by the God who raises the dead, he says and by the way that deliverance happened and you helped with it cuz you prayed for me. Don't be ashamed to walk up to somebody that you know suffering and say, "Hey, today Not, I am praying for you. But I prayed for you that this, this, and this will happen. My wife started doing that with her text messages. She sends people and says, This is what I prayed for you today. And you know, there are people who keep those prayers and read them. There are people who keep those prayers and go, Man, I can't can't believe that somebody talked to God about me. And if you want to help people in crisis... Tell them. Walk up to these young people. Say, hey, I prayed for you this year in school that you will. I prayed for your senior year. I prayed for your college. Hey, you kids just got married. I prayed that you will be not selfish and put your partner's needs above their rights. Don't be ashamed. to. Paul says, not only did God who raises the dead teach me not to depend on me, but he also taught me to depend on you. And that if you'll pray with me and you'll pray for me, you can bless me as God blesses me because he's the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inspiration of the Spirit that allowed Paul to share a very personal part of his life that we don't have any information on. But we understand that that thing that crushed him in Asia, he survived because of your comfort. He used it to comfort us. And he put his trust in you as the God who raises the dead. And he depended on the prayers that you listen to when we pray them. Father, we ask that you bless the people in this room. Bless their families. Bless their church family. Bless their homecoming. Father, we thank you for our food that we'll eat. Thank you for the time we spent together. Dismiss us in your care. In Jesus' name, amen.